first we'll pray, um, and then we're gonna we'll go through our Torah portion a little bit. That's not where we're gonna spend our time. We're actually gonna be Second uh, Chronicles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it's great. I'm actually in Ezra right now, which is really cool. I love the book of Ezra as well. Um, just the whole. Anyways, I'm gonna preach it before we start. All right. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this day and the Shabbat, this time to be together, that we get to assemble, that we get to be part of your people, that we get to um, observe your ways and your commandments because they are life, um, and that you are doing work in your people to gather them out of, um, out of Babylon and restore us unto you and your ways, God. So I just ask that you continue to do that, and that you would use your word in and through us, guided by your spirit, to obey you walk in your ways, and uh, be a light in the world that we walk. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so, uh, first we'll go to Leviticus 21. And we're just going to cover this real quickly. So, in 21, basically we have the laws for the priests, uh, of the sons of the, the priests, which are the sons of Aaron. Um, which is really fascinating, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I could go into in this, but um, that's not what we're going to do. Um, but it's worth looking in, into and studying for yourself. Um, just the, the specifics of the extra requirements that are put on them um, that affect their their entire life. You know, and I got thinking about it. It's like, oh, well, I know they did, they did go by rotation, so I suppose they got some time off, so to speak, but... Um, not, not so much for the sons of Mary, you know, they were, this was a, um, this was your life until you died, you know, and there was, it it's wasn't, like you had a choice. You yeah, you didn't, into it. yeah, well, this way, was what it was, yeah, yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you know, and it was, and it, and it, it had a cost, a big cost associated with it, you know, except for immediate family members, if someone else died, they couldn't go and, and uh, go to their funeral modern day terms because they could not become unclean and when they had the anointing oil on their head that you know there was this very specific requirement and it made me think not that me or or quote unquote leaders of congregations are priests but um but in the same vein those of us who who do are in a leadership position you you have extra requirements on you and it's a big heavy thing and that's um Part of the rise of what we just talked about, part of why, and I brought up this issue before in the past with people in our own congregation, why um, why sometimes we as leaders have to do the, the hard things that we have to do to hold the line because it's not about making everybody around us happy. It's about doing what God says. You know, and if, and if the, the priests, and what we're going to see, if the priests and the kings... Do not hold the line on the word of God, and and that alone, everything just goes to crap, real fast, really fast, and it all falls apart. And because we're going to read, uh, as we get to the end of Chronicles, that because the priests and the kings, you know, didn't do what he said, he he eventually had, you know, to wipe out the entire land and scatter his people abroad. And so, there's hefty requirements God puts on his leaders, and it's a heavy task. And it's not to be taken lightly. Um, 
And so I did that just hit me reading reading that passage there. Um, and then it goes on and Leviticus 23, it talks about the festivals, which is a very famous passage. Um, we're not going to go into all of that either. And read that. And then 24, they're supposed to bring um, they're supposed to bring light for the menorah. And then midway through 24, chapter 24 and verse um, 15, I thought this was another interesting passage. Uh, Thou shalt speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of Jehovah, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger that is born, uh, as, as well as the stranger, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of Jehovah, shall be put to death. And I got thinking about that. You know, that's a pretty uh, hefty uh, speech laws. You know, I got think I've thought this thought before, but the Bible is not uh, it's not a democratic republic or a representative republic. It's a theocracy, and there are very hefty laws put on things like speech, uh, what you do on certain days. You know, and and so it's important for us as citizens of Israel to remember that. You know, we serve a God, and and a lot of people would 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 brace against that, um, especially in our culture today, living in America. Even um, as good as a representative republic of, it's really only functions properly when the people are a moral, God fearing people. Otherwise, it gets exploited to to the demise of the nation, which is what's happening right now. And in God's word, He knew that. And so he wasn't going to allow, leave it up to the people to, to function properly, although it's imperative that they do do what they're, they're supposed to, especially the kings and the priests and the Levites. But he puts laws on things like, you're not going to blaspheme my name. We're not going to have people running around cursing God. No, you find that piece of crap and you stone them. And, then, and you, you get rid of this in the people. And so the, it, what it does is it keeps a, 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 an atmosphere of fear amongst the people so that they actually fear the uh, consequences that happen. And it, it sets a precedent in his community, in God's people, that there, there are rights and wrongs. You can't just say whatever you want. You can't do whatever you want. Uh, as long as it's not hurting anybody else, which is a false thing. This idea that, well, they can do that, and it's not bothering me, so what, I don't care. That's, that's uh, an untrue or uh, an incorrect way of thinking because everything has an effect on everything, uh, whether you do it in private or you do it in public. Okay, so, although, you know, obviously public's more influential. Um, and then the other uh, thing I wanted to bring up was... Um, in the same chapter in 24, verse 20, uh, it says, Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that killeth a beast shall restore it, and he that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. A lot of people say, oh, not you see it on bumper stickers. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. That's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. No, the system of justice that we have now where people you know, rape and abduct and do horrible things, and then they're out back in society in 10 years. That's barbaric. You know, God put forth a system of justice that was right and uh, balanced. 
what we have is not right and balanced. So the people who say, oh, you know, the Bible's so barbaric, it's like, you know, it's all flipped around backwards. No, God knew what he was doing. Okay, so, um, and then in 22, another very important, important verse that's uh, referenced other places, but you shall have one manner of laws as well for the stranger as for one of your own country, for I am Yehovah your God. So there's one manner of law. Again, in the, this present Messianic movement, it's a popular thing that, well, if you're Jewish, you do one set of things, or if you're not Jewish, you do a different set of things, which is basically just uh, taken from Judaism that says, well, if you're Jewish, you need to keep the Torah. If you're a Gentile, you can just do the no hide laws, and you're, you're all good to go. Again, that's not a biblical way of looking at things, because God himself says, because if you think of it, it's no different in any country. Well, it shouldn't be, theoretically. <laughs> but, you know, in, in general terms, the United States has our laws. And whoever is in the U.S. has to abide by those laws. Whether you were born here, or you immigrated here, or you have a temporary working visa, all the laws still apply for everybody who's in the country. And it's just no different. We just, we tend to disassociate our thinking and say, well, uh, like, basically, because we're in the diaspora, I think is why we struggle with this so much, because it would make complete sense if we were all back in the land with, say, David on the throne, right? The Torah was the rule of law of the land. And so everybody would be doing it. There wouldn't be a group of people saying, well, okay, are you Jewish? Okay, you got to do these ones, and you don't have to do those ones. No, this would be asinine thinking. But for some reason, when we're in the diaspora, all this other stuff starts to creep in and influence our way of thinking. And that's why I've said before, we, we have to align ourselves with the Scripture and, and look at the Scripture from a critical viewpoint to be able to have... Um, to do what's right, essentially. Otherwise, things, other things from uh, influential things start to creep in from our own personal history and baggage and backgrounds and cultural influences because it's everywhere all the time. And uh, and I don't think most of our people spend enough time studying the Word of God to know any different. So, okay, let's keep going. Um, that's it. That's that Torah portion. Uh, we're not going to look at the Hof Torah portion because it's basically. Basically the same thing about a uh, passage of um, laws for the priests. Um, all right, so now let's go up to um, Second Chronicles. We'll look at our passage where we're going to be. In. We're going to cover a fair amount of... material here. So go to Second Chronicles. Go to, we're going to start in 29. And then we're going to, if we, if we can get through it, we're not going to read all of it, obviously, but I want to kind of pull us all the way through to the end of the book because I just find it so fascinating. I find this section of Chronicles so fascinating because, you know, it's like out of the blue with all these horrible things that happen and, and basically this yo-yo of good king back. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And it seems like the bad kings always live longer, too. But it's like, why doesn't God just strike them dead? You know? But, like, we're going to read. You know, Hezekiah, I forget how long he lives. Um, but, you know, he does all this great stuff. 
And then, um, and then his son Manasseh takes over, and he lives 55 years, and he's terrible. It's like, 55 years he's on the throne? That's longer than David was on the throne. You know, how come David wasn't on the throne for 55 years, you know? So, I don't know, I always wrestle with stuff like that. And, um, you know, I have to think like, because then you'll read that his, his son then, he gets killed by his servants after two years. And I think, well, why did that happen? You know, why did he get assassinated? You know? And, and so, that's also, even just Hezekiah himself just kind of bewilders me. Because it's like, where does he come from? You know, I wish we got more. So, let's read a little bit. Uh, 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 29... Verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. So he was 25. And he reigned, oh, here we go, 9 and 29 years. So he only, re he only reigns for 29 years. You know, what a ripoff. I don't know. Um, and his mother's name was Abiyah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that was right in the sight of Yehovah, according to all that David his father had done. That's always a big uh, clue as to how good the guy was, whether it compares him to David. And he, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. So, you have basically the temples shut down, essentially. It's not functioning. And that's this yo-yo effect that you get, good king, bad king. Whenever it's a bad king, they the, the, sometimes the temple stays open, but they fill it with all kinds of idolatry. Which makes me think, you know, where are the priests? Why aren't they saying, no, over my dead body? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'd like to say that's what I would say. <laughs> you know, but I don't know. Why, I, I don't understand why you don't read that. Although, I, I, you maybe get a little bit of that when Paul, when Saul kills all the priests because they won't do what he says. So, but I guess there is, you know. In verse 2 when it references David, I mean, that's, is that a reference to King David? Yeah, yeah, King David. So, yeah. So the lineage he's he actually is of the lineage of David? Yeah, yeah, because he's the king of Judah. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. It's a, one of his immediate sons? No, no, but it always, as you read through like Chronicles and Kings, it, you'll see this periodically, and it says, you know, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, done. It's a way of saving he did right just like David had done. He wasn't an immediate okay. son. We're, we're generations later at this point. We're basically... Uh, we're three generations away from the temple being destroyed. So Israel at uh, this point is almost carried away. I think it happens probably after Hezekiah. Because, because as we're going to read, some of them come down to keep Passover. Um, so, so he, so I don't know. It's like, but then again, like, you know, you know, God saves my dad. Out, and, and as far as we can tell, how many years back, nobody was going to church or anything in our lineage. So, you know, why, why, you know, why Hezekiah, out of the blue, he does what's right, decides, oh, I'm going to go open the doors of the temple. You know, like, I don't, how come? I don't know. I wish we were told that. So, then, verse 4. So, he opens the, the house of Yehovah and the doors, and he repairs them. And then, um... Let's keep reading a little bit and read what he says. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of Yehovah, God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness 
out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of Yahweh our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their face, faces from the habitation of Yahweh, and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So, nothing was happening. Wherefore, the wrath of Yahweh was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and hath delivered... Wherefore the wrath of Yehovah was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment and hissing, as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Yehovah, God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for Yehovah hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him uh, and burn incense. Then basically they, they do what he says and they, they cleanse it. Um, you know, so I, what it just amazes me. So, so for some reason, Hezekiah turned back into God and he saw all that was happening unto them and said, we have to change this. And so he calls all the priests together. And so uh, as we go down here uh, to 17, uh, they begin on the first day of the first month to sanctify it. And on the eighth day of the month, they came, uh, they to the porch of the house of Yehovah and they sanctified the house of Yehovah in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they made an end. So they cleanse the house. They start in the first month and they cleanse it by the 16th day. So they can't celebrate Passover. Um, so this is a kind of an important background note leading up. So they can't celebrate Passover on the first month because it, it, the house wasn't clean. Nobody was ready. They couldn't do it because they've been living in sin and everything was a disaster. Um, much like it is today. And so um, then basically they, they cleanse everything. They offer a whole bunch of sacrifices and then we get all the way up to 25 um, and I and I like what happens here. <clears throat> and he set the Levites in the house of Yehovah with cymbals, with psalteries, with harps, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of Yehovah by his, his prophets. So he sets up basically the instrumentation again, hearkening back to his forefathers and these old prophets and what God commanded to. Um, start back up singing the hymns, basically, singing the psalms. Because that was essentially their their hymn book, which I would love to somehow return to, you know, singing the psalms. And um, so maybe we'll be able to do that more as time goes on here. Um, uh, and then in 30, Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise unto Yehovah with the words of David and Asaph the seer, and they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Um, and then, let's keep reading a little bit here. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto Yehovah. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of Yehovah. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, as many as were of a free heart burnt offering. So they brought in that which was above and beyond the normal sacrifices as uh, free will offerings. So then... Uh, we come down to chapter 30, which is where it starts to get um, 
fun. And so, uh, let's let's read let's read this. Uh, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh. So he sent letters up to the northern kingdom is basically what it's telling you as well. <clears throat> that they should come to the house of Jehovah at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto Jehovah, God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree and made a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover unto Yehovah, God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done it for a long time in such a sort as was written. So, uh, so the post went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all Israel and Judah. And according to the command of the king saying, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto Yehovah God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Notice how he, he, he calls them all the way back to the promises of the forefathers. And he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And be not like your fathers, and like your brethren, which trespass against Yehovah, God of your fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Uh, now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto Yehovah, enter into his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve Yehovah your God with the fierceness, uh, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you turn again unto Yehovah, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive so that they shall come again into this land. For Yehovah your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. I think this is such an important passage for, for us this day. You know, being in exile, we, we have to remember that exile is punishment. When you get grounded, it's because you're supposed to think about what you did wrong so that you change the way you are acting. Well, in the diaspora... We, we tend to use it as an excuse to do whatever we want. You know, it's like, I didn't send you to a room to play with toys. You know, I want you to feel miserable. It's like and, they say when the lepers get, get you know, basically right. banished or, you know, right. put out right. of the camp. You know, it's supposed to be a time. Yeah, it's a time of punishment. So, so we're supposed to focus and concentrate all the more on how we can obey and turn back to God and repent of our sin. Not, you know, have our cake and eat it too, you know, but, but there's, so there's still an imbalance I see within, um, within, you know, God's people in the diaspora because, you know, and I, this is one thing that I always tend to pick on, and, and it's great that we're returning to the festivals and the feasts, but honestly, they should be mixed with a little bit of sorrow and mourning because we're not where we're supposed to be. We're not doing them properly because of our sins. We're of our and on the sins of our fathers, we're exiled here and not where we're supposed to be. And so instead of you know being like, oh, we've got our star on the refrigerator chore board, you know, and we can check that one off our list. It's like no. We have to, you know, instead of going to, we're going to pick on, going to, and, and I may go to one of these, so I'm not crapping on it necessarily, but go to a Sukkot gathering thing somewhere, which is all fine, but we, we have to, and our leaders need to do this, tinge that a little bit with, this is great guys that we're here and we're doing this and we're returning to the God's festivals and holidays, but we need to be preparing 
not just our hearts and our minds, but literally, I, I want to, and, and I don't know, this is where I am at and what I would love to have happen in my own life. And, but, it, but if we, you know, tinge that with a little bit of sadness so that we, you know, what if three times a year we all had the ability and maybe God would provide this to happen. We could go to Israel. And then what if like all these weird Gentile Messianic people start showing up in Israel around the festivals, you know, Maybe that's something God can use. I don't know. Instead of just like, yeah, we're happy wherever we are in the woods, you know. And, and, and maybe God can use that too. And, you know, then he'll miraculously prepare and we'll all get back to the land. I don't know. But, you know, the way I look at it, the more I can do to do it really right, you know, get to the land if possible, that's what I'm going to try to line my life up to do. You know, to the best of my ability. It may never happen, but... You know, you know, they could have stayed up in, in, in northern Israel, and a lot of them did during this story here that we're reading, and said, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, we'll, we'll do a Seder at home. You know, but they didn't. You know, a lot of them. Others ones laughed and scorned. All right, so let's get ready. Okay, so, verse 10. So the post passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it means they, they, they thought they were just ridiculous. They said when they heard it, they thought it was just the dumbest thing they ever heard. You mean like today when they, they tell modern day Christians that you're going to serve Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they just, that's kind of, you said, hey, I'm going to do Passover next week. And I said, <laughs> that's retarded. Can I share a that, story with you? Sure. Yeah. Just because it's kind of relevant. And not so much that I got blocked out of it, but it was, it was like, a, are you serious? So, you know, we always check the flyers that come in. And, you know, always trying to, you know, big family, so we're always trying to look for sales. And if there's good sales, we'll usually bulk, bulk up on stuff. <clears throat> I got so caught up in the moment that there was this amazing sale on bread <laughs> that I bought probably $30, $40 worth of it and threw it in my freezer. Well, this was just a couple of weeks before, as, as you know, I, I, I don't know if you all know, but uh, so I'm like, how am I supposed to explain this to my wife? Unleavened <laughs> <laughs> so, bread you're talking about? No, oh, no, I'm oh, talking regular bread, regular bread. Just you know, oh, 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 and pastor's coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so I finally, I'm like, Lord, I just okay, I, I get it. Maybe this is a test. <laughs> this is a test. Are you really, really willing to commit to this? So I said, Listen, honey, I said, I know you don't with all of this stuff, but I said, one of the requirements for Passover is, is and for the, for the, the festival, the, the, the week of unleavened bread, you heard of it from your home, I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, I said, you know, caught, got caught up in a moment with the sale, and I know that, you know, we're going to have to do this again, but I have to throw this you're going to do what? <laughs> yeah. 
struggling with that too. I mean, it comes up each year, and you know, we didn't go like you did, but we weren't thinking a month ahead, and so we bought bread and yeah, yeah. stuff, and it's like, oh, and so we're all wanting to try to somehow think of ahead, like, hey, oh, Thanksgiving's coming up next month, you know, right. we're programmed, oh, yeah, Christmas, yeah, exactly. but we're not pre-programmed yeah. to think, Passover's coming up, right. Right. they're not buying this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I purged it all out, and, you know, it, it, because, again, I think it just boils down you to... You solo to a Gentile. <laughs> It's so funny because I was reading about stuff and, and people, there were so many that like warned against, listen, okay, it's not that you get to sell it away, sell all of your yes. sin to someone else to buy it back, right. it's to purge it. Right. But um, yeah, and it's interesting, so at, at work, literally like right before that, like my last day of work, so it would have been Tuesday, I just randomly... My boss comes to me and says, here, you won a safety award for something you submitted back in, in the, you know, whatever. And it was a gift card to Walmart for almost the amount of money that I There you go. <laughs> so, and I, I made sure to tell my wife, I'm like, listen, you know, if you don't think that he's in control of all things, why did I just randomly get a gift card for about the same amount? Yeah. It's all about trust. Yeah. It's all about it's all about, are you just going to be obedient? Right. Or are you going to continue to just challenge based off of your... You know, insignificant mind that doesn't yeah. understand my master plan. Well, and be willing to, if we suffer for his glory, then we suffer for his glory. You know, even if you, you didn't get that card or, sure. you know, sure. that is as much of a, I, God is, is magnified in either situation is what I'm saying right, right now. Yeah. And it, but I do believe, though, that God wants, his, his ideal is to provide for us when we obey. Because that's what he says. If you obey, I'll send the rain. You know, and um, so, anyways, yeah, good story, Eric. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so they laughed him to scorn in verse eleven of chapter thirty. Nevertheless, diverse uh, of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Because that's really what it is, isn't it? It's you really have to humble yourself and that's really what a whole lot of this whole what God's doing in his people is he's got to humble them and we're gonna we're gonna see it oh, I don't want to miss it because well I'll find it give me a word and I'll do a word well it's just, I, I believe it's Hezekiah. It's either Hezekiah or Josiah, but he basically, he allows one of them to get sick or suffer to, to, to really test him. To know, and it says, to know what's in his heart. Yeah. 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 And that blows my mind. So, you know, here this guy that does all this great work that, but even whoever it was, Hezekiah or Josiah. Yeah, that's Hezekiah. It's Hezekiah. And so, you know, what do you mean, God, that you have to further test Hezekiah to know what's all in his heart? But it's pride, right? Why else? Would be, you know, he wanted to show it all off to the Babylonians. Look how great we have it here. So we have to, and, and same thing with 
those from Asher and Manasseh want to come down to keep the second Passover, they humble themselves. They have to say, you know what? We are living wicked lives of sin, not obeying God. We've been wrong, and we need to return and repent. And that's what it is today, even, you know. We have to be willing to humble ourselves daily in our own lives. Are we obeying God and being obedient? Are we going to be, you know, trapped by our own pride in things? Are we going to obey Him? And, um, you know, that's a constant struggle that, that, that we have. Oh, I wish I could find that. If you find that verse, Dad, tell me where it is. We'll probably see it as I go through, but... Uh, maybe it's back in Kings. It might be in Kings. Oh, no, here it is. Uh, chapter 32, 31. Howbeit, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonders that was done in the land, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. I just... God, ah. Uh, you know, I don't know. That scares me, honestly. You know. It's like, great. <laughs> that's great <laughs> you know I don't know but but these are warnings and these you know just like God made them hunger and thirst in the wilderness to try them to know what was in the heart whether they would serve and obey him you know whether you're, you, you threw all the bread out of your freezer and you didn't get the gift card will you still obey what's in your heart you know same thing with me will you still obey Luke even though it doesn't seem like it's going to work out, and this is all going to crash and burn. You know. And so God lets us suffer and struggle and to, so that he can continually test us and know what's really in our heart. Which still blows my mind, because it's like, he knows I'm a wreck in, in, in any way. You know. But I think it's also a lesson for us, too, that it's, even Hezekiah was human, you know. Even Moses struck the rock, you know. We all, we, we, you know, we can't, it's not man. It's not our own strength and our own might. We have to continually die, as Paul said, you know. I die daily, you know, that, that Yeshua may live inside me, you know, and, and get the glory. Okay, let's keep reading here. So they assemble in Jerusalem, and in and, and 14 they take away the altars, and they cast them into the brook. In 15 they kill the Passover. On the 14th day of the second month, the priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings in the house of Yahweh. And they stood in their place after the manner according to the law of Moses, the man of God. And the priests sprinkled the blood which they received in the hand of the Levites. And there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passovers for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto Yehovah. For a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleaned themselves. Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Yehovah pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God Yehovah, God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and Yehovah hearkened under Hezekiah and healed the people. Oh, I just love that. So you have this, everything is in disaster, but they, they humble themselves to come out of the northern kingdoms and come down to keep the Passover, but they're unclean and they still eat of it. 
You know, they're not doing it still right, just like us in the diaspora. We're not, we're not, we're not doing it all right. But God still honors them doing the best they can with the situation they were in. And so Hezekiah prays, and God acts on his behalf to heal the people. Yeah. Can I go back to verse 31? Yeah, sure. I just I read this. So Matthew Henry says a good note, which I think, anyway, he says, God left him to himself to try him. God, by the power of his almighty grace, could have prevented the sin, but God permitted it for wise and holy ends that by this trial and his weakness in it, he might know, that is, it might be known what was in his heart, that he was not so perfect in grace as he thought he was, but had his follies and infirmities as other men. God left him to himself to be proud of his wealth, to keep him from being proud of his holiness. It is good for us to know ourselves and our own weaknesses and sinfulness, that we may not be conceited or self-confident, but may always think merely of ourselves and live in dependence upon divine grace. We know not the corruption of our own hearts, nor what we shall do if God leave us to ourselves. Yeah. Lord, lead us not to temptation. Yeah. And and see, that's part of that's the side of grace we don't think about. We always think grace is okay. God's going to give us a little bit of freedom, but grace, from God's perspective, is sometimes He'll let Hezekiah sin. He doesn't keep Hezekiah from sinning. God could have done that. God could have stepped in. Yeah. But he, he allows us to sin so that we might see our sinfulness and our need of dependence upon Him. And sometimes the only way God can break us is by our own sinfulness and pride. Yeah. God could stop us from all this. God could have stopped David from Bathsheba, but He right. didn't. Right. And so, anyway, this is a side of grace I'm beginning to see that I've not seen. Right. To me, grace is God stepping in and and protecting and, and stopping. But sometimes God's grace is, you know what, I could, but I'm not going to. So that you, in the parameters that I set you in, can see your own sinfulness right. and wickedness and how you need to be humbled before me. Right. And grace says you are dependent upon me. Right. It's not all freedom. Right. Yeah. Amen. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's a that's, great note. Yeah. And that's John Newton's whole thing on this thing of grace. Yeah. You know, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's not... What all the good things God allowed John Newton to be involved in the slave work to get marooned basically on this island where he was a slave himself, and then God, in his providence, after Newton started to realize what a wretch he was in his sin, God then delivers him by this ship that miraculously shows up to get him off the island, and yeah. then he ends up getting saved. Yeah, that's Newton's story of amazing grace. It's not who God set me free from all my sin, that is part of it. Right, right. But the other part is he had to see his wretchedness in God and his grace allowed that to happen. Right. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, well, and and also thinking about. The, that idea of grace and God's grace and his mercy, it is, it is the justice and the compassion, and understand this, and the mercy of God that he allowed the Babylonians to come and to see, and that he used the Babylonians to wipe out the wickedness that was rife in his people and in Jerusalem. That was a good thing that God did. It was terrible that it had to happen, but it was a good thing because God couldn't allow it to continue in the sin that it was in because it would only lead to more destruction, death, and chaos. 
And so he had to wipe it out, send them into exile so that they could see their sins and their wretchedness and their depressed state so that then he could raise them back up to go back and to start again. And they're hanging their harps up on the willow trees. They're not necessarily sitting around and having a hoop-de-doo time. No. Well, and that's what I mean. That's, that's, that's what I was saying about even us now in the exile. Yes, it's beautiful and wonderful that we're coming back to Jordan and things are being restored, but we're, you know, we're still, you know, doing our 70 years, you know? And, um... Yeah, amen. I'll pray All right, so, okay. So then, so, okay, so they keep the Passover, and God, uh, God heals them who humble themselves. Um, and then they rejoice, uh, and then, oh, and then I love this passage in 27 at the end here. Oh, well, let's go to 20, let's go to 25 uh, of chapter 30. All the congregation of Judah with the priests, the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers oh, 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 that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not like uh, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard. And their prayer came up into his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. <laughs> I just love that, you know. So cool. So all you got these, you got the, you got the uh, Judah, you got Israel, and you got the strangers, all doing the same thing, you know. And and then they are blessed by the Levites, and their words go up into heaven, into his holy dwelling place. You know, oh, it's just amazing. So they finish it all. And then what do they do? They've, they've, they've repented, they've humbled themselves, they keep the Passover, and then they go destroy all of the idols. And they break it down, and they get it out of their lives, which is really a picture of what's going on in our own lives, right? We, we get humbled, we turn back to God's ways and His laws, and then we start to look at ourselves and we're like, oh my word, and we just start hacking out all the idolatry in our lives. And so they break it all down. Um... Uh, uh, we'll just read it. All Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke down the images, cut down the groves, threw down the high places, the altars, out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his own possession, into his own cities. So that's great. Um... <gasps> So, in tw and then 20, of uh, uh, chapter 31, verse 20, Thus did Hezekiah through all Judah, and wrought that which was good and right, in truth, before Yehovah his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. You know, that's the whole point of this that, I'm going to beat this dead horse again. What we're turning back to is his word. It's the only guideposts that we have, the only consistent thing. You know, I'm not worried about returning dreams to us or any of, anything like that. That's something God could do supernaturally, but what he really cares about, what he always sends his prophets to talk about, is turn back, humble yourselves, repent, and turn back and keep his word and his Torah. You know, he didn't put so much effort into it for nothing. And so that's what we're turning back onto. You know, it didn't say, and he, 
Anyways, I'll shut up. <laughs> you know, but pick whatever, again, your sacred cow is. You know, he learned back to his commandments and his law and his seek his God and he did it with all his heart and prospered. You know, we're so wrapped up in our own sins and our own selfishness and our own self-focus, you know, that we can't, we can't get out of our own stinking way. You know, because, because to really come to his word and to read it and to humble yourself just strips you down to nothing and you see the wretched, wicked, patheticness that you are. Because if Hezekiah can fall, all of us can. David, you know, multiple. Okay, so, so then what's cool is the Syrians try to come against them, um, and they, he says, you know, you're not going to get delivered. I've defeated all these kings, and Hezekiah, uh, <laughs> they they pray. And you got Isaiah in here in verse 20 of chapter uh, 32. And then the 21, Yahweh sent an angel, which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders of the captains of the, in the camp of the king of Assyria. That, I just love that. You know, what did that look like? Did they just like, you know, flop over dead? Or was it like, cut in half, you know, like uh, Samurai Jack, you know. <laughs> uh, so, but then, but then Hezekiah gets sick. You know, you would think like, oh, here's this great guy, you know, but then he's sick unto death. Like, well, how come how come you're letting them get sick unto death, God? You only let them live twenty or reign twenty nine years. So in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death, and he prayed unto Yehovah, verse twenty four, spoke unto him and and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. So he gets all puffed up. Even though God gives him a sign, which is interesting, which we're not told. This is 26. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself with the pride of his heart. And then it goes, blah, 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 blah. He gets a lot of riches and does good stuff. Um, but then you get the, the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon. So begins the end. Uh, so then you get Manasseh, and he's just a wicked, horrible, terrible guy. He reigns 55 years, and you're just like, what in the world? Uh, but then at the end of his life, interestingly... He, um, in 21, um, well, actually, just back up to 10, uh, chapter 33, verse 10. Yehovah speaks unto Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore, Yehovah, uh, that always blows my mind, like he spoke to him, like he's a prophet, you know, you know. Wherefore, Yehovah brought upon them captains of the host of the king of Syria, which took Manasseh among thorns, bound him with fetters, and carried him into Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought Yehovah as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed unto him. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that Yehovah, he was God. <coughs> and I always think about that. I'm like, you know, well, you know, it's probably the bad side of me, but like, what's the justice in that? You know, here does all this horrible stuff and, and now he repents. Sure, you're sorry now. But obviously he really was sorry because God brought him back because it says that Manasseh knew Yehovah, he was God. So, which teaches me I have to be quick. I have to not be quick in judging. I don't know. We need discernment really more than anything in this present day and movement from God in, in judging scenarios and situations, you know. <clears throat> 
So then he comes back and he takes away all the strange gods, in verse 15, and the idols out of the house of Yehovah and all the altars he had built in the mountain house of Yehovah in Jerusalem, cast them out of the city and repaired the altar of Yehovah and sacrificed thereon peace offerings and thank offerings and commanded Judah to serve Yehovah, God of Israel. Then his son reigns and he gets killed in two years. And then Josiah comes. And you have Josiah. And he was, uh, he was eight years old when he begins to reign. And again, in verse 2, it says of chapter 34, He did that which was right in the sight of Yehovah and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Uh, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to uh, purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. So he, he cleans out all the high places, um, and then he purges the house, and he says, all right, repair the house of God, in verse 8. And um, they get the money, and in 14 it says, When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of Jehovah, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of, uh, of Jehovah that was uh, given by Moses. And so, basically, let's kind of go through this quickly. Basically, he gets the book read to him. And when he hears it, he uh, rents his clothes. Then he says in 21, Go inquire of Jehovah for me, uh, and for them that are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that's found, for great is the wrath of Jehovah that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the words of Jehovah to do after all that was written in the book. So it's interesting to me. So you have now, you had two generations between, um, between Hezekiah and Josiah. You know, and I just thinking about it, my own. That'd be like you know, that'd be like Grandpa, uh, Doctor Tanner, you know, being a godly man. You know, it's like, I've not met him, don't really know anything about him, other than that he was a doctor. Um, and then, and then, and then me. And, you know, so there's that, there's a, what my point is, there's a gap and there's a distance between the two, even though, uh, and, and, and had no relation. But in only in two generations, it all went downhill. Really one generation, because Manasseh turned it back around, but then, uh, Ammon does, does bad stuff. And that only was two years. And then Josiah gets on the throne. And so, he, he's, he, ha, he turns it back around. And so they go to this prophetess. And she says, turn back unto God, basically. And, um, but judgment is coming, he says, basically. But it's not going to happen in your days. I'll let you go to, you know, die in peace. But judgment is coming. And so, um, they read the book. In the, in the hearing of all the people that was found. And let's go to 31 of chapter 34, 34, 34, verse 31. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before Yahweh to walk after Yahweh, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve Yehovah their God in all the days they departed not from following Yehovah the God of their fathers. And then they keep the Passover in the first month. And, um, and then if we skip all the way down to uh, 17 of chapter 35, the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, seven days. And there was no... I found it so fascinating because we're right at the end. 
basically we got a couple more kings before Jerusalem gets burned in, dest in destruction. But there's like this crescendo right at the end. And it says, 18, there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel, the prophet. So now we're going back before David. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a poet Passover as Josiah kept and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants from Jerusalem. And in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was the Passover made. Then he goes out to fight with, um, to fight against Egypt on behalf of some other nation and he dies. And um, Jeremiah is around at this time and he laments the loss of Josiah because I think Jeremiah knows <laughs> Or the judgment that's coming. And then you have all these different, a couple more different kings. Um, but eventually, Nebuchadnezzar destroys everything in chapter uh, 36. But I want to focus on um, uh, I want to start in verse 12. 36? Yeah, 36. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so talking about Zedekiah. Uh, he was the, the, the last king, and he's the one that um, they kill all his sons, and then they put out his eyes. And he did that which was evil in the sight of Yehovah his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of Yehovah. So there's that idea of humbling. He also rebelled against Who king is this? This is Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Okay. Yeah, King Zedekiah. He also rebelled against, in verse 13, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto Yehovah, God of Israel. Moreover, all that, so this is what I wanted to focus on. You got the king, and then you got the chiefs and the priests. Moreover, all the chiefs of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. And polluted the house of Yehovah, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And Yehovah, God of their fathers, sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes, and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and despised his word, misused his prophets, until the wrath of Yehovah arose against his people, till there, till there was no remedy. You know? And, and it got me thinking, too, it's like, you had God sending all these prophets, right? But what were they speaking? Boring stuff. Yeah. Return back to his commandments. Nobody wants to hear that. Because at the same time, there were also false prophets and false advisors telling the people exactly what they wanted to hear, saying it was from God, because it's recorded. And they listened to them. And because, but nobody wants the truth, which is the boring, straight-up word of God. Because that means we really have, you know, we have to actually change ourselves and we have to humble ourselves. And nobody wants that. We have to be way different than the world. And we have to be way different. We can't, we can't blend and mix and move between. Yeah. You know? Because it takes, it takes your pride away, it humbles you, and it, 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 you know, makes you small. But that's where, but that's, Exactly where God wants you because then he can do what he wants with you. But it's the boring stuff. It's not exciting. It's not some tantalizing trifle that gets you excited. It's like, ooh, ooh, and then you watch another YouTube video, you know? 
I don't know. I find this stuff way more exciting. Than oh, church. I do too. It, it but see, that's church. Yes, yes. I agree. Well, and that's what my point is. I believe for those that God is calling back to Him and turning and changing their hearts and getting hold of them, that will humble themselves. This is alive and powerful and exciting. And the other stuff is 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 fake. You know, and it doesn't last, and there's no substance to it. It's like an addictive drug. You have to keep getting the next high. Whereas if you just feast on the pure word of God, that will really sustain you. It's like the difference between people that are really healthy and exercise and all this stuff and someone who has to keep getting the next fix and keep getting, drinking coffee and another yeah. cup of coffee and another yeah. cup of coffee. Yeah. Good thing coffee is not a problem. <laughs> you know, but... but I, and when I say it's boring, I mean that on the general world scale yes. form. They don't want God's word. Because it says, there's a God, he knows everything, you don't know everything, and you better do what he says. Nobody wants that. But, but those who are truly his, they know that this is the only thing that sustains. Because all else is vanity. So, but wickedness continues until there was no remedy. In verse 16. 17. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, who slew their young men with the sword, and in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on the young man or maiden, old man, on him that stooped for age, he gave them all into his hand. In all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of Yehovah, the treasures of the king and his princes, and all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem, and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire, destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon when they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of Yehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. So these prophets that were mocked and laughed to scorn, this is my cynical side. But the truth is, I, I, I want to think they're staying off on the side with a broken heart saying, yeah, now who is the one that truly loved you? Right, Jack. Yeah, they suffered so much... But they were not looked upon as the ones that truly loved them and had their best interests. Right. They were in the way of what they wanted. Right. Be drink and be merry. Right. You know, and sometimes God has to vindicate his prophets by Bringing the destruction on that they tried to warn everybody about. That's right. You know, and I'm I am i am always on the backside saying, but who now can you see who really loved you? Right. So they told them the hard truth because they were trying to avert the disaster to come. So God had to bring destruction to wipe out that path that they were on of destruction Can so that he could thing? save a remnant. Now, I'm going to shut up when we get more people, but I'm just going to... Yeah, it's fine. You know, so, but, but, no, no, we have tons but of But what people. you said about discerning, it just it hit me out of the blue because... That's what I, I think we're really needed. So, in 1 Corinthians 12, um, says, verse 3, Whereof I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Yeshua a curse, and that no man can say that Yeshua is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversity of gifts but the same Spirit. 
and there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. So here we go. But the manifestation is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given the Spirit, uh, by the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, uh, to another prophecy, now I'm going to skip one, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these work that one in the self-same spirit divided every man severally his will. But in the middle of what is there, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. This one is another one of these that never gets mentioned. It's what you said, to another discerning of spirits. Yeah. If anybody chooses to try to exhibit discerning of spirits, because John says, test all spirits. You know, not every spirit is of God. And this, you know, so we focus on miracles, healings, dreams, and visions, but there's no room for somebody to come in and try to say, have a discerning of spirits. Right. And, that, and that's what you said, that's what's so necessary. But it's another one of these that are never focused on. Right. Because nobody can have discernment. We all have to agree. Right. And God has to raise up that one or two people that say, well, let's hold the bus here a minute. Let's examine this. Let's step back. And so the prophets that come along and say, no, we need to discern the stuff. They're mocked and they're ridiculed and made fun of and nobody wants that until there's been death and destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, and I find it so fascinating, too, at the end, because it always seems to pop out to me. Then verse 21, it says, To fulfill the word of Yahweh by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Who cares about the land? You know, that's kind of my first knee-jerk reaction. But God cares about the land. Right. And it's not just it's not just the dirt, but it's it's... The relationship of his people with the land, with him, because it all works in harmony, because that's what he created it to. Because he said, if you'll obey me, it'll rain and you'll eat. If you don't, you won't. Well, it makes you, you know, I mean, it makes you wonder about the world in general, because the, the world has, has stopped. Just as we've stopped um, a, a, as a people honoring the true Sabbath, we've also stopped honoring the Sabbath rest for our land. Oh, yeah. I mean, agriculture. Yeah, right. We I just believe. Run it yeah. And then into we the run ground. It more. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's why God will have to destroy the earth. Because he, he has to cleanse it. Mm. You know? You know, there will be a time when there will be no remedy. You know, and and it's 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 all only holding together by a thin thread of those of us who are actually keeping His word and keeping everything you know, on the world together. And uh, but that eventually he, he's going to have to step in, you know. And the same thing's going to happen in Israel again because the land's not enjoying its Sabbaths, and they're having abortion and sin and all kinds of chaos, just like they always were. And so it's all going to happen again. Morning. I was listening to something this morning on my way up here, and I didn't realize no. that. I mean, they're just as bad, if not worse, as, than as we are with abortion. And I was like, oh, yeah. oh my God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so you know, there's the only because God's a, God's a just God. It's the only thing He can do 
to render justice because his word will not return to him void. It will do what he says it will. That's uh, funny too, not funny, but uh, I think we might have, did we talk at all through this reading about um, Canaan or Canaanites? I no, I didn't. Are we out, out, outside of that? I didn't bring it up, Okay, because no. uh, it's, it's interesting when the topic comes up that the Canaanite culture right. was huge in basic ch child sacrifice. Well, yeah, I didn't bring it up. It was... All of that stuff. And, and so yeah, it was Manasseh who sacrificed his, his entwinement. Yeah. yeah, I didn't bring that up, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, sacrificing their children. But, you know, that's basically what it's going on now. We're killing our kids to, to have the lifestyle we want. You know? And, uh, so anyways, God's gonna, you know, He's gonna bring justice and judgment, which I am so thankful for, you know? I'm so thankful that we have a just God who will render justice and that it won't continue for forever. And so, though we live a counterculture life now, uh, we actually live in harmony with what is God is wanting. But we still have to humble ourselves, seek Him, continue to be changed so that we don't become at ease in our Zion and our bedroom playing with our toys, forgetting that we're grounded. You know, so that we will change. And so that when parents come and say, open the door and say, okay, you can come out now. You know, we can, when the exile is turned back, you know, we will be like dreamers, as it says. Have skipping out of the stall because now we can live in harmony with what our Heavenly Father says to and all things will work properly. But I think if the God's people would more and more, us, I mean, change our lives on a, on a, uh, you know, day, on actual physical levels of like keeping the Sabbath, keeping the festivals, getting our lifestyles in line to serve God as much as we can you know go visit the land even if we can you know one three five years go there during Passover I don't know I think the more we can get closer to what he says in here and not use the excuse of the exile I believe the more it'll be a catalyst ready for change do you think that do you really think that there's significance in going back to the land even though right now the land is yeah. so yeah. Just under, you know, ungodly rulership. Right. Yeah. I believe there, there is. There is no real temple for us right. to truly go back there. Yeah. I, those thoughts, yeah. I, I personally think there is. And, and it's up for debate. I'm not you saying that I'm like right. I realize that. But, you know, I've thought about that same exact thing. But it was a disaster when they went back to it from Babylon, too. Sure. It but was a disaster. They, go back to do it correct. What they did, but so would we. No, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I and so I realized that God's going to have to do a miraculous work. And I don't I mean, know how that's going to come about, but he's going to use his people to do think that. that. God is going to miraculously bring Judah to its rightful place. And it's going to conduct its own purging. I hope so. I don't know. I don't care how God does it, but I want to do as much as I can along that lines. And so if he's going to use somebody, then I want to be there to be used, yeah, yeah. you know? Well, here's my problem. And, and you and I, you know, we, we talk about this. Me, 
I'd want to go over there and preach to everybody at the whale and wall. It just makes me so mad <laughs> that everybody goes and sticks these prayers in there. I want to say, this is the problem, folks. You don't know the living God, so you don't have a communication with him. So you write out prayers, stick them in here, right. and think that somehow, magically, God's going to read these. Well, when you're not looking, somebody comes along and takes them all out and throws them away. It's all empty. And I have to believe that's what the prophets would do. This is right. Well, I know I'd get caught up, and I'd want to go to the prayer wall, and you have to wear a kapal or something. So I, I hate being so torn. On the one hand, yes, that is a physical wall, and I want to go touch it. But on the other hand, I want to say, you're all white-watered sepulchers. <laughs> you know, that's yes, I problem. know. Well, and I agree with that 100%. It's just but I still I think you. No, I'm not saying I don't agree with yeah. you. I agree with you. Right. This is how I'm torn. Right. I know. I agree, and I agree, and I feel the same way. Uh, but I, 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 for you know, because Yeshua sure went in and he turned it all upside down. Oh yeah. Mad. Right. Exactly. But we want to come play out while we're over there. Well, no, I'm not saying we no, go I'm there and I, you. you know, we blend in and we assimilate. We go and we be who we are, you know, unapologetically, if, if we can go. And you know, I mean, the reality is. Well, who anyways, who we need but, fellowship with? The closest we have is Nehemia and, and those guys, and we don't have any. Well, who cares if it'd be any different than it is here? Oh, yeah, true. You know? Yeah. And at least there's no, less yeah. people working on the Sabbath. Yeah. You know? And yeah, like, the, know. the Spring Foliage Festival would be on, <laughs> on Shabbat, at least. Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm just telling you the other, the yin and the yang of me. Yeah, I know, I agree. And I know the thing too. It's just, I, you know, and this is the part of me that wrestles with, I get so, you know, uh, I have, I'm so black and white. It's like, I'm t like trying to get Torn to do math. He's not interested in math. It's like pulling teeth to get him to do it. I'm not picking on you, Torn, because I was the same way. And it's the same thing for me. If I don't have the motivation, uh, it's just, I have... I just can't put anything in. I couldn't care less. Whatever. And it's, that's what it is for me living here. Every day is just a struggle to do stupid life in a place I don't want to be. And I hate it all. You know? I hate the stupid country. I hate our stupid laws. I hate paying my stupid taxes. And so I get up and I slave away. For what? For something I don't... I hate. You know? So I don't want to be here giving my blood, sweat, and tears to do this. Yes. Yeah. I just wish that I could like not have to work. Yeah, so it's like if I'm gonna go sweat the word and bleed and, and struggle for something, it's like I would... I've gotta work and that's right. right, Eric, you have to support your family. Right. I think what at least what I'm doing is I wish and this is for me saying everybody should be doing what I think and that's not what I'm saying. But my prayer is that God will get worn somehow to be able to be in that land because that's God's promise. When His people turn their hearts back, He will then put them back in the land. I don't want to just, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but for me, the greater prayer is as much as we, you know, if, if there's enough people that are pouring their house out to God, it's like, God, I don't want to just go visit. You, and this is what I do. Well, God, you give me the promise in your word that if I turn back to you, whatever right. that means. You will put me in the land. So I'm asking, even though I will not be allowed right now, that you will supernaturally start bringing your people to be able to live there. Right. And and that's part of all what I was what I was saying. It's like that's why I I feel so hard. It's so difficult for me to give myself to this life and be content, you know, and, and happy and smile like everybody else and watch soccer games, 
you know, when I don't freaking care about any of that. It's not what I'm all about, you know. Like you said, I want God to, and this is all part of it, you know, I think, I think because it just forces you. If people really turn back to his word, you start to realize it's not compatible living here. And so the only way it can work is if God's people are back where he it wants them to be with his uh, government set up. Not the current one that's there. But how does everything change? And granted, I believe God can send lightning bolts and magically change things. But there's, he still works through people. There was still Joshua. There was still Moses. There was still David. And though he did mighty, miraculous things, they still had to be there, you know, ready to be used. And so... That's what, you know, whether it's me or, or him or, or someone else that gets affected, you know, this is, I believe, what God is doing, you know, to, to build his kingdom back ready. Just like when they, I've used this analogy before, when they built the temple, because he's, we are the temple of God, all the blocks were cut off site. And so they were ready. Then when they were shipped, they were just put back together, you yeah. know. So that's what's happening here, you know. And so, anyways. My block's not ready. <laughs> Neither is mine. But that's what God's doing to us now. And the more we are humbled and the more we choose to change, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be, we'll, we will be the block that fits over there. And it's completely not fit to fit here anymore. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, for your word and your Shabbat, and um, this time to be here that we we have the ability to. And, um, let us not, you know, be complacent uh, because of the eases that we have, but that it would spurn us on more to be like you and to serve and obey you and uh, walk in your own ways, and that you would gather us out of the exile someday, God, quickly and soon, and uh, that we may serve you in your land. As, as you say. So we just ask that you would act, that you would move, and that you would change us internally and externally. I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. It's not my fault. 113.